Blessed be with you this morning as we continue our sermon series where we are digging down deep and exploring the attributes of God as He revealed them to His servant Moses in response to his question in Exodus 33 where Moses asked God, show me your glory. And as he does, he takes Moses up into the cleft of the rock and the mountain at Sinai, the very same place where Elijah stood, as he heard the still, small voice of the Lord. As he passes by, he declares his name. And although we were just standing a second ago, we're going to stand again. Forgive me. And we stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. If you would please do so as we're looking in Exodus 34 in verse 6. This is the revelation of God. As he passed in front of Moses, he proclaimed his name, the Lord, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and abounding in faithfulness. And though the grass withers and the flower fades, the word of our Lord remains forever. Please be seated. And we pray, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in thankfulness for the gift that you have given to us in your word, inspired by your Holy Spirit through your servants. We pray, Lord, that as we are here under its teaching and under its authority, that you'd be present in this place and in our hearts to comfort us, to challenge us, and to change us, knowing that we cannot do this in and of ourselves, but with the Spirit all things are possible. And so we pray in His name, amen. So today we'll be exploring the last of these attributes that God has revealed about Himself to His servant Moses, that He is a God abounding in faithfulness. And I think this is a very important word for who God is, especially in our modern times today. One thing I hear people say pretty frequently recently is just the unsettledness that they see because they're experiencing a world that is changing so quickly, that the world around them is moving and changing and shifting, and not necessarily in very good ways, but the, the thing that's so disturbing to people is just how fast it's happening. It's amazing how quickly society and the world around us is moving from one place to another. And so given this reality and this sense that people are feeling, it's more important now than ever to dig down deep into the reality of who our God is, because our God is a God who is faithful. The Hebrew word that's used there is the word emet. And the word emet, as just as like hesed, as we explored a couple weeks ago, has different dimensions to its definition. And one of those definitions, or sort of dimensions of what that word means, is truth. So, for instance, within the King James Version, if you read in Exodus 34, it would say a God who's abounding in steadfast love and truth. And oftentimes in the Scriptures, Amet is translated with that word. However, digging down into what we mean by faithful, I'd like to look at it in a little bit different way, in a way that I think speaks to where we're at now. And I think that God was revealing Himself, particularly in this context, that what he means, or what he means by God being faithful or a met here, is that God is a God of stability. He is a God who is described in Deuteronomy chapter 32 as a rock. Just think about a rock, immovable, stable, not subject to change. 
Even as we think of the Lord Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, if you're going to build a house, make sure you build it upon the rock because all else is shifting sand. I want to show you just an illustration of how you can think about this word amet and the concept of stability with two different stools. One of these stools would be amet, faithful. One of these stools would be amet, true and stable. Another stool is not. Can you imagine which one's which? (laughs) This stool is stable, has four good legs. When I put it down, I can have faith in this stool. I can trust this stool because of its stability. I don't have to wonder when I sit down upon it if I'm going to fall over because of the nature of the stool. This is like God. God is like this stool. He's a rock. He's stable. He's true. He's reliable. This stool is not. This stool is not a mat. I can sit upon it and it might be able to hold my weight, but very quickly if I start to shift my weight in any way, this stool will fall over. This stool is not a mat. It's not reliable. You can't depend upon it. This is like the world. The world is like this stool. And we need to be careful to make sure we are putting our trust in the right place. Are we trusting upon the God who is faithful? Are we finding our trust being found in the world, which is not? And that's what we're going to be digging down into today. So the first thing you want to do is look into different aspects of the ametness, if that's a way of putting it. There we go. You can't plan it better myself. How God is stable. And now God is stable in so many ways. So we're going to look at three different ways, but it's not by any means... Does that encompass all the stability of God? And then after we look at some ways that God is stable, that God is a met and faithful and true, we want to say, what is our response to these things? How are we to live in response to that? So three different ways that God is a met, that he's faithful and true and stable. One is his character. We read in James chapter 1, verse 17, that all good, perfect gifts come from above, right? From our heavenly Father, who is the Father of lights. Now with him, there is no variation or shadow due to change. In fact, one way of reading Genesis 34, verse 6, is that God is a God who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and that isn't changing. You don't have to wonder from day to day, when you get up tomorrow, are you going to encounter a God who is merciful and gracious tomorrow? Do you have to wonder if you're, if you're going to do something where all of a sudden God's not going to be slow to anger anymore? Is there something that you can do? Is there something that can happen within God's own being where he will no longer be steadfastly loving? No. God's character is a met. It is faithful. It is true. It is reliable. It is stable. Unlike you and unlike me, and unlike the world around us, God is faithful. God is also faithful not only in his character, but he's also faithful and stable and trustworthy in his words and in his promises. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, when Paul is talking with the Corinthian church, 
he's describing God as being faithful. He says, as surely as God is faithful, as surely as God is a met, as surely as he is stable, you can count on him. Our message is not yes and no. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. All the promises of God can be counted on. You don't have to wonder if God said it, if it's going to happen, or if it's true. You know that it's true, and you know that it's true because of Christ Jesus. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the promises of God that find their yes in Him, and then we, His people, united to Him by faith, by the Holy Spirit, are then the recipients of those promises as well. And you don't have to wake up tomorrow and wonder if that's going to remain true. Now, again, that's not like the world. The world makes all sorts of promises, but the world doesn't uphold its end. I read this just this week of an example of that. It was an example that comes from a piece of real estate in New York City. The address is 432 Park Avenue, overlooking Central Park. Here's a picture of this apartment building. At its completion in 2015, it was the tallest residential building in the world. Began construction in 2013, took two years to complete, and was billed as a residence for the super rich. There is a single apartment in this building that sold for $88 million. If you take the combined real estate from this building and place it all together, it amounts to over $1 billion in real estate in this one building. 432 Park Avenue. As we'll see in a second, it was billed to those that were buying apartments as God's quote, God's gift to the world. It promised luxury. It promised comfort. It promised quite literally the opportunity to look down on the rest of the world in many senses. And yet the experience, the fulfillment of those promises of the residents of 432 Park Avenue have fallen far short of the promises that were made. As we read that the horrified residents are furious and alarmed at the leaks, creaks, and swaying. Not to mention the frequent problem with the lifts, as we said before, in a building that only a few years ago continues to be billed to buyers as God's gift to the world. Apparently, insurance on this building for those that are residents have gone up 300% in the last number of years. The promises that the world makes, can you depend on those? The world is like this fallen stool. The promises of God in Christ are like this stool. You can always depend upon it. You can always lean upon it. It is sure. It is true. It isn't going anywhere. Are you and I trusting in that? Not only is God's character a met, not only are God's promises a met, but God's kingdom and His Lordship are also faithful and true and a met. In Isaiah chapter 9, as we read of the Messiah, that of the increase of His government and peace, there will what? Be no end. Another place in Scripture where we see this illustrated comes from the book of Daniel chapter 2. There, the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream. His dream is very disturbing to him. 
And so he gathers together all the sorcerers and magicians and wise people who are supposed to be able to interpret such things. And he gathers this group around him. And the king says, I've had a dream and it's disturbing to me. I want you to tell me what my dream is. And I want you to tell me what it means. And all the sorcerers and all the magicians and wise men of Babylon says, you're nuts. There's no way we can tell you what your dream is. No one can tell you your dream. Only God can tell you your dream. We can't tell you your dream. And Nebuchadnezzar tells those magicians, sorcerers, and wise men, if you don't tell me my dream, I will tear you limb from limb and put you to death. But luckily, there was one who could tell Nebuchadnezzar his dream. That is God. And God speaks through his servant Daniel, who comes before Nebuchadnezzar and says, I can tell you your dream, or God will reveal through me what your dream is. You saw a dream of a statue. And that statue had a head of gold, and a chest and arms of silver, waist and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of a mixture of iron and clay. And then, O king, you saw a rock, not cut by human hands, that struck that statue at its feet. And here's what he says. While you are watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands, and it struck the statue at its feet, the feet of iron and clay, and it smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces. And they all became like chaff on a threshing floor in the summer, and the wind swept them away without leaving a trace. Can you think of any other place in Scripture where we read about chaff being driven away by the wind? In the book of Psalms, Psalm 1, that the wicked are like chaff that the wind drives away. What Daniel sees in this vision is all the kingdoms of man, the, the kingdoms that would lift themselves up in their greatness, and all of them come to nothing. All of them are smashed to pieces and become like dust that is then driven away. But there is one that remains. There is one that is a met. It says that the rock that struck the statue became a large mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, what is this rock? that grows into a mountain. It says, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all the other kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will never, or sorry, it will itself never come to an end. It will endure forever. The rock not cut by hands that strikes at the feet is the kingdom of God, which then grows to become a mountain that fills the whole earth. When we look out into the world around us, we see the kingdoms of man in turmoil. Do we? The kingdoms of man and in turmoil. We also see the change and the rapid decline and decay of the kingdoms of man. And many of us look at those things and we're shocked. We're shocked at how quickly things have moved. We're quickly at the kind of conversations that we're having. I can't believe we're having conversations about that. We're talking about killing babies outside the womb now. We're shocked. And we should be shocked. But in one sense, we shouldn't be all that surprised. In one sense. The kingdoms of man 
will come to nothing. And God brings judgment upon the kingdom of man. We read that in the book of Romans and throughout Scripture. When God brings judgment on a nation, what does He do? He hands them over to their own evil desires. Do we see that happening? Should it be all that surprising? Now, it's shocking, but not all that surprising. So, where do we find our place of a met? Do we look to the kingdoms of this world? Do we? We can. Where do we look to the kingdom of God, to the Lordship of Christ, to His eternal character, and His promises which are yes in Christ? So what is the response to these things? What are we to do in response to the faithfulness of God? We are to be a people who trust in Him, who put our faith in Him. That light is beautiful. Isn't that great? Like the sun. And I want to show you a place in Scripture where this doesn't happen and a place where it does, that we might learn from both. A place where it doesn't happen, where one of the servants of God falls short of trusting in Him, comes from the book of Numbers chapter 20 to his servant Moses. There is an episode in the life of Moses which disqualifies him from entering into the promised land. Do you remember that episode? In Numbers chapter 20, God tells Moses to do something. He says, I want you to speak to this rock, and I want you to do it before the people. Now, why does he want to do it before the people? So the people will see and trust me. He wants to remind the people, I am the Amet God who is faithful. So I want you to stand before the rock and speak to it, because nothing can come out of a rock by speaking to it unless God does it. Remind them that I'm the faithful God. Speak to that rock before their eyes, and I will pour out its water. Now, what does Moses do? He gets mad. You rebels, must we bring the water from the rock? Uh-oh. Who's supposed to bring the water from the rock? The Lord. And it's supposed to be obvious because you speak it. But now, all of a sudden, Moses goes, must we do this? And he strikes the rock. And is God happy with this? Now, look what God tells him. Moses, you fell short because you didn't trust in me enough. You forgot, Moses, that I'm this stool. You forgot that I'm the Amet faithful God. You, Moses, are treating me like this. You're treating me like I'm not faithful. Now, a good question to ask is why? What happened? Why did Moses fall at this point? I mean, Moses had had multiple, multiple, over and over again, episodes like this, right? How many times throughout Moses' ministry or God's ministry through him did he deal with grumbling Israelites and he didn't fall? What happened? I think we have a hint of what happened in Numbers chapter 20, verse 1, something that we can read and just very quickly skip over. What we see in verse 1 is that somebody died. Specifically, his sister. His sister dies. Again, we can read that as just a blip to us. Miriam died. Now, was Miriam important to Moses? How important was Miriam to Moses? Who was the one who took the infant Moses and placed him in the Nile River? Miriam. Miriam. 
Who was it that when Pharaoh's daughter picked up the infant Moses, says, I'm going to make this my own child, who took that child back to be nursed by its mother? Miriam. Who is it? In Exodus chapter 15, which is called the Song of Moses, a song and celebration of the victory of God over Pharaoh and his armies, who is it that leads all the women of the people of God in celebration and worship? Miriam. Who is it that's listed as a prophetess who speaks for God? Miriam. Who is it that in Micah chapter 6 is listed as one of the three primary leaders that God raised up to be the leaders of God's people as they left Egypt? One is Moses, two is Aaron, and three is Miriam. And now she has died. Now she's died. Moses has experienced great loss. Could it be the case that over time, which happens to you and I too, all of a sudden in our lives it just happens. We just, there's that creep where we begin to trust in other things other than God. Now remember, there's only, you know, God is either going to be this in your life or he's not. If he's not this in your life, then he's this. It means you're trusting in something else. Had Moses began to trust in something else? Had Moses' trust, what he was relying on, began to migrate away from the Lord or something else? Because when Miriam was gone, all of a sudden, he fell. And is it the case where you and I begin to trust in other things besides God? Because only one thing in our life is going to take this place. The question is, is it God or is it going to be this stool that falls over? Now, another place in Scripture where somebody demonstrates great trust in God, where God, they recognize God's faithfulness and they are, have great obedience, and that is the life of King David. In 1 Samuel 17, King David comes off from the shepherd's field to join the armies of God as they are arrayed over and against another army, the Philistines. And on the other side of the Philistine camp, there is a warrior whose name is Goliath, who is described as a giant. And all of God's people are shaking in their boots because no one was to go out and face the giant. Can you think of any other place in Scripture where God's people faltered in their trust because they didn't want to face giants? In the book of Numbers, when the spies are sent to spy out the land, they come back with a good report. This is a land overflowing with milk and honey. But what? There are giants and we are like grasshoppers to them. And the people forgot their God was faithful. But David didn't forget. God knew that his God was faithful. He knew that his God was a rock. And so he says, I will go and face this giant. How do people respond to David saying that? What? His brothers? Like, get out of here. He goes to King Saul. Saul looks at him, you're going to go face this giant? And David gives testimony of the emetness of God. He gives testimony of the faithfulness and stability of the rock. And he says, I am a shepherd, but I have overcome a lion and a bear. And God, my Redeemer, delivered me. And he says to King Saul, the Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, the Lord will rescue me again from the hand of this Philistine. Because David knew who his God was. David knew that he could trust in God. Despite the circumstances, not because of anything in David, but because of who his God was. And so he goes out without armor, without sword, with nothing but a sling and a stone. And yet because of the faithfulness of God, 
is victorious over the giant. As we come to a close, this one, another example, of course, the pinnacle of examples is always going to be the Lord Jesus himself. And the Lord Jesus knew that his father was faithful. And because his father was faithful, he knew that he could entrust himself to his father, no matter what, no matter what the circumstances, because he knew his father would be faithful to him. And he gives testimony to that even with his dying breath. As he's on the cross, we have the seven sayings of the cross. One of them, perhaps even the last thing that Jesus spoke, I would suggest that it was. Jesus speaks and quotes from the Psalms. Psalm 31, verse 5. He says these words, Lord, into your hands, what? I commit my spirit. And when you turn to Psalm 31, verse 5, you see this. Deliver me, Lord, my God who is a met. Jesus knew who his God was. Jesus never wavered in his trust and his faith and his belief in the ametness of his Father. So he could face the giant of the cross. And he went there, talk about no armor, with nothing, and overcame with the righteousness of God. And so for us today, the question is, what are we trusting in? Are we trusting in the world? Are we trusting in other people? Are we trusting in circumstances? Because all those things are like this broken stool. They will let you down. They are not faithful. And they will not endure forever. Or have we placed our saving faith and hope forever in Christ? Because His character will not change. His promises are always yes and amen in Him. And His Lordship and His kingdom will never, ever, 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 ever end. Let's pray. We thank You, Jesus. We thank You that You have, by Your victory on the cross, fulfilled every promise of God. And we thank You that because of the presence of the Holy Spirit uniting us to You in faith, adopting us as Your family, that we are now the recipients of those promises. Lord, forgive us where we place our hope and faith in other things, in other people, in other circumstances. And we thank you that your character will never change, that you will forever be merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And Lord, help us to look to you as our Lord and Savior and to find our belonging in your kingdom, a kingdom that will never end, although the kingdoms of this world will become like dust, to be driven away like chaff. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.